Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, a podcast for senior living leaders who are looking to stay ahead of the curve in the industry. On this show, we feature leaders and innovators in senior living who are pushing the boundaries and creating new, effective services and solutions. And now, let's settle in as host Jennifer Drago connects us with today's guests. Welcome to Senior Living Visionaries, where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the field who are shaping the future of senior living. I'm your host, Jennifer Drago, strategy consultant and CEO of Peak to Profit. And today, my guest is Sherry Pfeiffer, who's the president of Escaton. I'm so honored that you are able to join us today, Sherry. Um, Sherry, um, as I mentioned, is the president of Escaton. She has been since September of 20, uh, 2022. Escaton serves over 4,000 older adults each day across a broad spectrum of services and housing offerings. And I'm going to ask Sherry in just a second to tell us a little bit more about that. What I love about um, meeting Sherry, and we just met a couple of months ago at a leading age conference, um, is that your career spans over 25 years in the field of aging services, and you've worked in operations, in strategy, which is my love, and I know we're going to talk about that today, as well as leading innovation and growth. You serve as the board chair of the Leading Age California Association, and um, you love to invest in the development of next generation leaders. That's a passion of yours. And I know um, I got to see a LinkedIn post recently where I think you started your next uh, Leadership Development Academy at Escaton. So if you'd like to talk about that, we'd love to hear. You also serve on the advisory board of the gerontology department at the California State Sacramento, and uh, you're a graduate of that program as well, holding a master's of science in gerontology and education. So perfect. And you um, are married and have three teenage boys. So God bless you. I've raised two of my own. <laughs> Thank you. So it's I know how hard it is to be in leadership and, and manage your family too. Yes, lots of leadership lessons as we uh, raise our families. That's for sure. <laughs> for sure. So tell us a little bit about um, Escaton and, and the uh, organization as it stands today, if you would. Sure, Jennifer, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this visionary podcast. I feel honored. Um, Escaton has just celebrated its 55th year of operation, and uh, we have over 30 communities spanning all different types of service lines from affordable housing to residential living, different types of models with residential living, healthcare services, including skilled nursing and rehabilitation, as well as home-based services and community outreach. And so uh, what's neat about Escaton and what attracted to me, me to them 18 years ago was truly the opportunity to think creatively and strategically about serving people no matter where they are living. And so that has been um, an opportunity for us to continue to reinvent ourselves over the years. And we have over 2,000 employees and we serve about 4,000 older adults every day throughout the span of our services. That's it. so impressive. And you mentioned you've been with Escaton for 18 years. And um, before you became president, you were the chief strategy officer and yes. leading strategy for the organization. So I imagine that you've been a big part of everything that you've just described in pulling that all together and building it. Yes, it's been uh, 
quite the ride, as you can imagine, when I started in 2005, um, we had several years right before the recession, the Great Recession, which lasted five years. So learning how to operate in different dynamics through that experience. And then also, um, obviously, the pandemic and how we're emerging from the pandemic now. So I think as strategists um, and continuously learning and understanding our market and the needs and the different um, pivots we need to make along the way um, is critical for success and sustainability. Yes. And that's actually how we met. I was um, at a pre-conference session at Leading Age California where the session was on organizational sustainability. And you were one of the speakers and you gave a, an amazing presentation. The whole session, the whole pre-conference session was wonderful. It was led by Mary Munoz Ziegler, another one of my favorite people in the world. Um, what was the message that day that you hoped senior living providers would hear and um, that would help them ensure the future viability of their own organizations, but also of our industry? Excellent question, Jennifer. And I think this is such a critical question that we as nonprofit organizations need to continuously ask uh, with our boards. And the question is really, what are what's the viability of our different service lines? How are we creating sustainability and ensuring that we are fiscally responsible? Um, again, with workforce challenges and having to increase our labor costs, uh, it seems as as though it's exponentially, um, you know, we have to understand what the market can bear in terms of um, serving older adults and what they can afford. And then also balancing that with our, our labor market and ensuring that we're attracting and retaining excellent employees. Um, but at the governance level, that's the critical place where these questions need to be asked in an honest way and also a curious way because um, so often as organizations, we want to protect our mission and we want to believe that perhaps philanthropy might augment um, operating expenses and um, be able to help us create sustainability. But at the end of the day, just like um, a very solid business for profit or nonprofit, we need to ensure that we're making margins so that we can cover our expenses and also invest in our capital replacements and then um, make some for the rainy days that we have over, over the years. So right. um, that's part of a good, I would say, discipline at the governance level, level as well as the leadership level. Yeah, I love um, all of those messages. And certainly, you know, our margins have been, um, they're slimmer than ever before. Mm -hmm. And so we, we do have to be so disciplined to ask ourselves those hard questions so that we can um, have the capital to uh, invest in new development, new opportunities, because this market that we're serving is growing. As we know, we're going to talk about that as well in just a minute. But um, also to be able to save for the rainy days because, um, uh, COVID gave us a lot of rainy days and I know we're hoping that they don't yeah. come back anytime soon, but we have to be prepared. Right. Right. And the other piece is, um, you know, as I've been thinking through, um, strategy in particular and leadership, it's critical that, um, ad adaptation and innovation be a part of our conversation at the, at the board level and the leadership level, especially disruptive innovation. We, we both know, Jennifer, that sometimes the greatest inventions happen at times like these, mm -hmm. um, when resources are slim and creative entrepreneurs are, are 
gearing up to uh, really look at our market and and participate. Mm -hmm. So how can we leverage those relationships and how can we learn together? So important, so important. So that um, starting back at that leading age conference, um, I think a theme of the day was being able, what, just what you said, having honest conversations with your leaders and your board, having the discipline to make the hard decisions when necessary. And I know, um, having been in this industry for a number of years, that when you are serving with your heart, serving with your mission, that sometimes it's really hard to make business decisions that um, you may feel um, affect that mission um, negatively. But, you know, again, for the future sustainability and strength of the organization, sometimes those decisions are necessary. So I would love it if you could share a little bit more as a leader of an organization about your philosophy as it relates to this discipline of honest conversation, hard decisions, um, and having the discipline. You can share an example if if you have one. Sure. And um, yeah, and I'm just kind of curious, you know, beyond your philosophy, how you ensure that these um, candid conversations happen regularly in your organization? Yes. So Jennifer, we have um, pretty specific disciplines here at Eschaton. Again, we're based in Northern California. So our market's um, very diverse from the Bay Area all the way to the Valley and up to the foothills. Um, one of the things we utilize at a governance level is a, a cycle called life cycle analysis tool. I know we perhaps may get into that a little bit later, but that is one of the tools that we utilize alongside different dashboards that the board can quickly consume and understand the status of the organization. Um, my CEO writes a state of the state, if you will, of um, each quarter and some high level information covering, you know, current uh, finances, as well as workforce issues, um, any expansion opportunities or things that we're looking at strategically, um, any legal issues, things like that. So at a, at a quick um, two page level, the board can really understand where we're at in a snapshot. We also have a finance dashboard. I complete the planning dashboard, which is really taking our strategic plan and drilling it down into more monitoring elements. It also includes a SWOT analysis that is updated annually at, a, at an offsite board retreat. Um, and then we, of course, have our customer metrics. We have satisfaction and NPS scores um, that are actually real time. So we've been doing that for about seven years now. Uh, we have over 20,000 data points in this um, robust online dashboard. And so we're able to respond quickly to any issues um, that customers may have um, across our business line. So that's at a high level. Those tools are necessary, I believe, to engender those conversations. And of course, if you have the right people around the table, which I believe we do at Eschaton at the, at the governance level, you know, they're bringing their questions um, ensuring that we're looking at all levels of, of the situation and, and um, creating those conversations naturally. Mm -hmm. um, and that relationship is, is critical for success and to navigate. An example um, that we experienced here at Eschaton, uh, probably over the last six, nine months, um, we have three standalone skilled nursing communities that are quite large. Uh, two are 148 bed, one is 99 bed. And we've owned and operated them for over 40 years at Eschaton. So they're you know, a close um, asset of ours. And 
we realized that through the pandemic, uh, we just were not able to operate them as successfully as, for example, an entity that just does skilled nursing can mm -hmm. do. So um, we made the difficult decision at the governance level to sell those, divest ourselves of those three standalone skilled nursing, of which they're going through the AGO approval process right now and look to close in October. So um, close the, not close the buildings, but to transfer ownership um, mm -hmm. over to a partner. Yeah. And I imagine that was, how long did that um, discussion take? And I know you're still not done with it, but um, how long do you, do you Yes, from the time the board really made the decision, along with leadership, that we should um, do an RFP, for example, it was probably, you know, six, three to six months to execute. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in some ways, I look at that as a strategist. I'm like, well, that took too long. <laughs> Um, but honestly, from, you know, it's a large, it's 33% of our top line revenue. Um, so it's a significant uh, part of who we are. And um, we're looking at that strategically to invest in the future of expansion of our residential and home-based services. So again, having that full perspective of what are we divesting to invest in? You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's really a repositioning of the organization of which Frankly, over 55 years, Escaton has done many different divestitures um, and acquisitions and, you know, affiliations. So I think um, it's just the right time. Right. And, and many organizations probably need to be having, need to be doing a similar analysis if they're not. I'm sure some are, but I wanted to point out the time frame because really in, in the senior living industry, I don't think that time, I think that time frame was very short and disciplined, um, probably because of your leadership. I know a strategist, like you said, we wanted to go even quicker, but um, you know, I think I'm just going to call it out. I think senior living sometimes thinks and talks and thinks again and thinks more <laughs> about um, you know these decisions, which are really hard. But again, what we're talking about today is how do we bring more discipline to this process? And um, I think you had. Um, you know, it sounds like uh, on all levels, the right people around the table, the right metrics in front of you. Um, you had a plan of, you know, we're not just divesting. This isn't, a, you know, shrinking our mission. No, we intend to use this opportunity to, you know, expand our mission, but in a different way. Um, and it seems like it makes so much sense, but I hope that others follow your lead to, you um, you know, have that, you know, make, go through that decision process in a expedited manner, not a frivolous manner, not without a lot of um, analysis, of course, but uh, don't wait on the decision. Yes. And, and Jennifer, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, again, having a logical disciplined conversation around these different assets using tools like the life cycle, et cetera, um, do help um, to guide those conversations. And then also, um, I think having the right people, again, those with some business experience and acumen um, are critical to have around our tables. Um, because that's, again, um, I'm from back east, and I used to work in a very large life plan CCRC that was faith based. And I remember in the boardroom, you know, it would be, you know, all mission, nothing else, you know, and but we're losing two to 3 million a, a year. So that's not okay. So mm -hmm. that's where 
I believe we can strengthen ourselves if we, again, lead effectively and, and have the right people around the table. Yeah. Oh, so impressive. Um, so we talked about you being a chief strategy officer became, before you became president. I was recently talking to a consultant in our industry, um, and she works with senior living organizations on development projects. Mm -hmm. And one of the first questions that she asked going in, um, and she she tells me the story because she knows I'm eating it up, but is, okay, how does this relate to your strategy, to your business strategy? And often what she finds is that they don't have a strategic plan, or if they have one, it's five years old, it hasn't been updated. And one of the first things that then this consultant works with them on is, okay, let's get your strategy down so that your development can match your strategy. Um, I know you have, a, I know Eskaton has a strategic plan, but um, speaking to other senior leaders, can you share your guidance on the importance of having both a long-term vision of where you're taking the company as well as a strategy? Um, and how often do you update, do you work with your board to update Eskaton's strategic plan? Yes. So, you know, when I joined 18 years ago, we had a 10 year strategic plan, five year goals, two year initiatives, and it was a big placemat. And we, mm -hmm. we would monitor ourselves with the 10 years. We quickly learned um, at the governance level, as well as the leadership level, the world is changing much more rapidly than that. Um, and so we then appended that um, in the late 2000s to really look at um, a five-year and then a two-year. And frankly, that was also too long, Jennifer. Mm -hmm. So we now have adopted as of 20, I want to say 2015, um, a two-year kind of vision. Um, and then we have strategies in place, init specific initiatives outlined for the different business lines we have, because each one has its own uh, unique constraints and opportunities. And then we, um, so the board leads really I say it's a collaborative because leadership and the board are all working um, together annually to outline what are the trends, are we responding effectively, what are the key elements we need to be looking at around the corner, disruptive innovations, et cetera. And so there's the educational component, which is critical at the governance level. Um, we believe that there should be an educational component at every single board meeting because that's, again, we we work in a fairly complex environment, not that other businesses don't either, but with Eschaton, with being in five business lines, it's really critical that we're um, educating ourselves and the board uh, on what's happening and what's what the future is holding. So at the board level annually, we have a retreat. We bring in special speakers for that as well. And then as the strategy officer, I was the kind of... Um, fit that together in something that's consumable. I'm a person, perhaps like yourself, I appreciate visuals. So the simplicity of visuals, what are the three areas we're focused on as an organization? And then of course, um, how that resonates within the leadership body. So our executive group um, that meets quarterly as well. So they are enrolled, their voices are enrolled in the shaping of the, the initiatives. And then really, as an executive director at many of our properties, they're asking, well, okay, how can I bring this forth in my market, in my on my campus, enrolling the team members? So um, that's how we've done it over time. Now, to be honest with you, Jennifer, I think there's one piece that I'd like to um, 
include going forward in our next revision, which will be this um, at the beginning of this next year, which will include much more uh, focus around engaging the voices of our workforce because workforce has dramatically shifted just expectations and um, desires of our workforce, especially in healthcare post-pandemic. And so what do we need to do to um, proactively respond and engage? And frankly, we're in the people business. If we don't have amazing, dedicated, purpose-filled team members, then our mission is not going to be delivered as effectively as our vision requires. So to me, that's a piece where um, if I have a recommendation to others, please get the voices of our team members around the table to design what that looks like going forward. Yes, how that's amazing. And I think that what great advice, you know, I think about um, not only the workforce shortages that we have today, but we know as the senior population continues to grow, that the uh, caregiver population and the, and the population serving them is much, much smaller yes. in terms of their growth curve. And so yes, um, to have a great culture and to have a strategic plan that is listening to the voices of your staff, I think is um, so important. What a great insight. Thank you for sharing that. Mm, definitely. Um, and then, so I, so I hear, um, is it a, a two, is it a two-year plan with a one-year um, update cycle? Yes. I'm, okay. So you're, exactly. you're talking to your board each year about. Yes, exactly. So we update and tweak our plan annually. Okay. And that truly was um, important for us back in 2015, for example, when following the recession, instead of purchasing land, building and operating our own, we truly opened our arms and said, gosh, Eschaton has an opportunity to support many other nonprofit organizations um, across Northern California through management, shared services, IT support, um, and then eventual affiliation, if that would make sense. So we had to learn um, quickly how to adapt ourselves from a centralized support system to radiate um, out to other communities and other providers so that we could shore up and strengthen them. And so that, that cycle is so important because the world, again, technology is shifting constantly and um, business processes and expectations. Um, so those dynamics, again, also recognizing that what the market can bear in terms of cost. And um, so those elements need to be updated annually so that we're on top and ahead of what's going on. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for clarifying that. And you mentioned a number of dashboards that you use at the board level, which um, even your planning dashboard, you have a finance, a customer metrics. Um, are there any I missed? Because I think, you know, that that's another part of the strategy execution and the discipline that we have here, right? We don't want to just create a strategic plan and have it sit on a shelf or <laughs> to your point, be a placemat that, you know, is right. somewhere on your desk buried. Um, it has to be a living, breathing document. And I think one of the ways we bring it to life is by having you know those things be measurable and bringing the dashboard to the leadership and the board on a regular basis so what what are the dashboards again if you would remind us 
Yes, so um, there is, in terms of the dashboards, it's our state of the CEO kind of address um, every quarter. So he outlines kind of key areas um, across the organization quarterly. Uh, and then also we have the finance. We also have a quality and uh, a quality dashboard. Um, I mentioned the strategic planning dashboard and the customer dashboard. And then finally, we always keep the life cycle analysis fresh and quarterly. We have that in the package as well. So that we're, um, for example, when the skills were coming through the uh, cycle and we're impinging on the divestiture side, the decline side of that, that format, it was time to say, okay, now, we want everyone to understand that this is important for us to discuss and decide what do we want to do with this. And historically, we've we when we're entering into new relationships, whether it be joint ventures, affiliations. Um, when I first started with the organization, we were we had already purchased lots of land and were under construction at three different properties at one time. Um, so there was a lot of movement. Um, so that's critical to just keep in front. Again, our board meets quarterly currently. We are evaluating actually, Jennifer, right now, whether we want to, because of the dynamics of the environment, do we want to meet a little bit more frequently and or, um, you know, can we even summarize our key performance indicators into more of a high level with those metrics? Because mm -hmm. I think it's, um, again, as a discipline, a business discipline, um, that's something that's absolutely critical in every business. And so how are we emulating that not only at the board level with KPIs, but at the management level? Mm -hmm. Oh, so, so impressive. Um, we, you've mentioned life cycles a lot, so I want to go there next. Um, and so we also, as soon as I saw your presentation, I'm a trained uh, life cycles capacity consultant. Uh -huh. um, and so I work with nonprofits on, on, you know, all, all the time it comes into the board development and the governance work that I'm doing, um, as well as strategic planning. And I love that you've brought that into your organization. And uh, I want to learn about, um, you know, how you use this. But I I have the a graphic, um, and I want to see if it's the same graphic that you use in your, yeah. I, it probably is, but I just thought it might be helpful for those that are watching on video. Um, oh. if. I love this graphic, Jennifer. It has a few more areas than what ours does. For example, we use it from the startup phase okay. to the growth, to the maturity, to the decline. I really like, though, that you have the, the idea, the turnaround and the terminal pieces, because we have turned things around when, when some of our properties and um, products have, you know, eclipsed into the the decline we yeah. have reinvested we repositioned or master planned right. and we have been able to bring them back into the maturity so i i appreciate um how you have this um even more uh fleshed out yes and i can't take any credit for this this is from uh the nonprofit life cycles institute which oh, is that's great uh, um susan kenny stevens is the um author of this theory and and uh that i'm pretty sure this graphic but it's one that i use a lot and then under yeah so i want to i'm going to take the graphic off but i wanted to just share that what we're talking about here is and in your case i think you do it by business line or by yes. service you can tell us about that but evaluating you know where we are in our 
in our maturity curve because maturity is really what we're striving for um and but we want everything within that service line so your business model your administrative systems uh your governance everything to kind of match um, under that maturity level and it's when we have mismatches of those that sometimes there can it, there can be organizational strife or um, we might be heading into decline and so um, yeah tell us about I'm going to take this down but tell us about in general how you use this yeah. uh, at Escaton because I think it's sure. amazing well what's funny Jennifer is I remember when I joined Escaton this graph was more of like a solar system it had like big bubbles and little bubbles and I was mm -hmm. like what does this mean um and so we have advanced and progressed uh, matured into the formal kind of life cycle component here um, the way Escaton uses this is truly to evaluate from stepping back kind of that zoom lens of saying, um, of course, because we have different business lines, we color code our products and services mm -hmm. um, by, for example, affordable housing. So we have 13 affordable housing. We've got 12 residential living, different products actually within residential living, home-based services. Um, and then of course our healthcare um, services as well. And we've also added now um, some joint venture, um, some, affiliation. Um, and so what's really helpful in the way the board appreciates using this is looking at how, first of all, the where is everyone stationed? And I, I appreciate that you just said uh, the goal is to keep them in maturity. And the maturity phase can be many decades mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're reinvesting, if you're repositioning. Right. Um, that's why I liked how you had the last several pieces. Um, how do you regenerate um, your products and services? But it also allows the board, again, who come together at you know four or six times a year to quickly assess, uh, start asking questions. Okay, well, why is, why is, um, you don't have much in startup phase, Eskaton. You don't have much in growth phase. That looks like there's nothing there. So what are your plans to expand your relationships? What is your plan to go out and uh, market for some more management services, for example? How are you expanding your, um, or retooling what you currently do to remain in that vital, vital area of maturity. Um, I think I've struggled a little bit with um, how to, for example, you know, within the scope of what we do in terms of revenue, we've got mm -hmm. affordable housing that, you know, individuals can pay $250 a month and then we've got life plan communities where you know they're they're investing uh, large sums of dollars for many amenity rich services and the the whole scope and within i've been curious about um you know margin you mentioned earlier that we've been seeing declining margins how do you reflect that appropriately on the life cycle to show you know um, this this entity is still in maturity, but it's got declining year over year margins. Mm -hmm. And um, so could there be a second level? Because oftentimes right now that's due to labor costs because we had to in, we had to increase our um, healthcare labor costs by 30 percent within six months. And so, you know, again, healthcare is third party reimbursed. Those reimbursement rates aren't going up. So, again, who's taking how are those being navigated and considered over time? Mm -hmm. um, so 
that's one of my questions that I'd love to learn more about. And I'll have to look up that institute um, and talk to you more about that. But those are the types of things we need to consider as nonprofit organizations for sustainability and also for creative um, you know, financing, for example. Do we need to refinance? Do we need to find partners? Do we need to um, think differently about how we grow um, and invest in modernizing our communities? Mm -hmm. I love it. And so how often are you, did you say quarterly? That yes. each, um, and is it every single um, community that you have is has its own place yes. on your life cycle chart? Yes. Okay, every service. So there's one. 30 boxes. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and so at first, when you when you look at it, um, the good news is now it's color coded, um, it's somewhat organized in terms of um, reviewing what this looks like from a through a board lens. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, preempting those questions. And sometimes, actually, we have created what we call the green sheet, which is a menu of questions so that we kind of forecast out some questions that the board can even look at because sometimes again if the board's coming in quarterly or or every six months they may not know all the different types of questions but sometimes we as management are saying you know what about this what about that what about this what about mm -hmm. <laughs> and um so it also helps to kind of preempt some questions um so that we can you know kind of dig into some difficult things uh, that that are uncomfortable and yeah. I think that's that's actually a healthy place to be. Yes, I love this. I love how it generates the right conversation uh, at the leadership level, at the board level. And and I'm looking at your slide from that session in California that I went to uh, where you did put your, you know, your 30 boxes were on the life cycle chart and the three care centers are straddling maturity moving into decline and you know and, and yes. now it all comes together to you know what you've done because of that so that makes perfect exactly. sense exactly and and the good news is uh, back to the the true cycle is we've had things straddling there historically and we've been able to reinvest and master plan them back into maturity and i think mm -hmm. that's that's really um a, a critical component to this plus for example our home-based services are non-medical and we also have licensed home health care but our non-medical was going towards kind of decline because of the caregiver shortage then we were able to partner with honor home care um, mm -hmm. out of san francisco and they really shored up our caregiver strategy and so even entering into partnerships can open up doors that we've never considered before Yes, it's so important for the industry to consider now. I know a lot of the larger organizations are really looking into partnerships and affiliations, as you mentioned, joint ventures, different things, but um, even smaller um, single site organizations or smaller multi-site can really benefit from uh, opening these conversations because we, sometimes we just can't do it all, nor should we. <laughs> should we. Nor right. should we, and I, I appreciate that statement so much. You know, we don't have to be all things to all people, even though historically Escaton pretty much has tried to be all things to all people. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, different uh, economic times, perhaps that's doable. Uh, but really, with the competition rising, mm -hmm. uh, we have to be that much more proactive and laser focused to compete effectively. Yeah, oh, I love it. 
um, you mentioned home and community-based services. So let's um, end in that arena because um, I love home and community-based services for lots of reasons. But one of the biggest reasons is I think it's going to be the way that our industry, senior living industry, responds to that silver tsunami we've been referencing all all podcast here. Um, you know, the growth in the senior community, we know that many of them won't be as resourced as the generations that came before. Um, and we know that even if they were, we don't have enough brick and mortar, nor could we build fast enough to meet their needs. And so home and community-based, I think, is really part of our answer uh, to that um, question. And so I want to learn more about your philosophy around home and community based, what you think um, is, you know, what you're into now, what you think the opportunities are for the future, um, both for Eschaton, but for the industry in general. I also equally love this topic, Jennifer. So mm -hmm. we're definitely proponents here. Um, what we know from a business perspective, if you want sustainability, you need to have volume. Um, what we understand is that nine out of 10 people would prefer to age well in their own homes. Mm -hmm. With that, um, the what we have seen at least nationally are some very progressive models, especially on the East Coast, you know, the, the life care at home, if you will, the mm -hmm. wonderful models that Kendall at home has done and friends, uh, Quaker uh, background entities have done. In California, we're a bit constrained uh, in the fact that we are not able to do what we call life care at home yet. Mm -hmm. uh, we are working at Leading Age California and uh, with our policymakers on this. Uh, but what we are seeing is a, are a couple things. One is, for example, Institute on Aging in San Francisco is truly a pioneer in home and community-based services through care management, care coordination, and non-medical home care. Um, we look at his uh, their model. I say his, Tom Briotti is the CEO there. Um, and they have really an interesting compilation of meeting people um, who are, let's just say, um, qualify for medical medical or medicaid mm -hmm. um, and then they're able to enroll in this care management care coordination program and receive um, services that keep them well in place through mm -hmm. technology through care management and services um, i think that that is a, a model that will continue to expand uh, we also are very uh, supportive of PACE. One of our joint ventures is with Innovage PACE. Uh, we invested in that entity to bring forth a uh, large center, a 47,000 square foot center in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. um, there were 11,000 individuals that qualify for this Medi-Cal, Medicare eligible uh, program. Again, those that are at risk of skilled nursing. So mm -hmm. PACE, I think, is going to continue to mature. I'd love to see a more private pay moderate income pace, mm -hmm. uh, eligibility come to fruition. Um, and then finally, I always call it that single point of contact. At Eschaton, we have something called Resource Navigator. Mm -hmm. And so it's a 1-866-ESCHATON phone number um, that goes to this, this team that has the opportunity and education to navigate people through the various unique services that they are needing. Many times people haven't planned forward like we know. Um, so that education is constant. Um, it's our commitment, honestly. We need to, as nonprofits, be out there educating customers and um, the public about 
the fragmentation of our systems and how to na navigate them effectively. So having someone at the center as a care coordinator, a resource navigator is critical to help um, families, to help older adults navigate the nuances of the payment streams and the services. Um, I would love to see more opportunities again because of labor shortages it's not like they're you know when people want care in their own home there's not a lot of people that are out there able to give all that uh one-on-one -on -one support and it's not affordable you know true we're looking at 30 to 40 dollars an hour just in the sacramento area in the bay it's 40 to 50 dollars an hour not many people can afford that um, for all the services they need so again the proliferation of that village to village concept where uh, you probably have heard of like avenida's village um, and others networks across the country how do we mature those to become even uh, more prolific in terms of hubs of support um, because we're going to have to be very creative um, as we go into the next decade um, you know not everyone is a digital native you know so that we have to consider not only technology but also people and um, connected services so it's a very exciting time i actually appreciate that there are incredible um, challenges in this space but i think by getting those um, around the table that have different perspectives is is going to be the answer yeah, I love um, some of the models that you've talked about. And um, here's another area where we're connected and think alike is um, life plan at home or life care at home. I actually launched a program in Arizona, the only oh. program that um, exists in Arizona. And I'm such a proponent of that. Now I'm consulting to help other organizations oh. um, with that. So I'm so excited to hear that California is is looking at um, making that available because I know it was not available. And it's such an important way to serve that 90% that you referenced of people who don't see themselves moving into a community and providing first and foremost, that care coordination, that's going to keep them healthy, independent, and safe at home. And then along with the services that they need to stay that way. And what we found is that when we had our life plan, uh, at home program, we offered the ability to move into our community at any time and have a dollar for dollar credit of their entrance fee toward their CCRC, their continuing care retirement community, because people do change their mind. There's lots of things that happen. A hundred percent. I love that, Jennifer. Yeah, it's such a nice way to complement um, the continuum of services that we already have. And it's a more moderately priced um, uh, product also. So it does serve more of a middle market customer. Um, so kudos to you and the other California leaders looking to hopefully make a change there. Cause I do think, uh, we need more of these programs. There's 35 of them across the country. They've been in existence. The oldest one, uh, is 30 years old. They're incredibly successful, but, uh, we need more. <laughs> we need more of them. And, and I'm so eager to have in California is called CCAH, so Cal, uh, continuing care mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the first pilot's going to be in Los Angeles. Um, so we need to get one up here in Northern California, which I would be very excited to do. Um, but again, to your point, um, those are the types of programs we need to be bringing to market and piloting and testing and uh, right now, right mm -hmm. now. Um, the other piece, Jennifer, which I think you would um, 
appreciate is the confluence of who we're serving today. I mean, on our campuses, we have people from age 60 all the way up to 110. So mm -hmm. all the dynamics that occur when you have multiple generations living together, what are the amenities programs, um, experiences that are very different for the different types of generations we're serving. Um, and actually I was just meeting with a, a dear friend who moved into uh, Sun City Lincoln Hills, which is a 7,000 home active adult community with over 11,000 living uh, people living there. And he is in his late seventies. And he said, you know, it's amazing here at this community that just offers social, you know, lots of social connection and amenities. Um, he says, there's six six decades of people living here. Oh my gosh. And, and he says, but there's no backbone of like an eschaton, someone who can help with care coordination, care navigation, home support. Um, and so there's opportunities. We just have to be have our ear to the ground and um, engage in those in those um, disruptive conversations. Yes, yes. Sometimes just get out of the building a bit and get out. Get out and get get into the market. Yes. That's perfect. So, um, Sherry, can you tell folks how they can uh, connect with you, connect with Eschaton? Sure. Yes. Um, my email is sherry.pfeiffer at eschaton.org. That's S-H-E-R-I dot P-E-I-F-E-R um, at eschaton.org. Um, and of course, you can always ping me through LinkedIn. <laughs> um, I'm there. Uh, be happy to connect with you at any time. Um, just send me an email. Perfect. We'll put that in the show notes too. So it'll be easy for folks thank to you. find you. And I want to thank you today uh, for having this conversation with uh, me today and, and with our listeners sharing all your guidance. And um, you you are doing so many wonderful things at Eschaton and leading strategically. Um, so your voice is so important because um, you, you've shared so many nuggets today that I, I think are really going to be helpful for strengthening and providing resiliency to our industry. So thank you so much for your time. An honor to be with you, Jennifer. And again, I'm a lifelong learner as well. So uh, I appreciate learning what's going on out there in the market and uh, be a part of it. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I'm Jennifer Drago. You've been listening to Senior Living Visionaries podcast, where we explore cutting edge ideas and breakthroughs that are shaping the future of the senior living industry. Please subscribe to be notified when a new episode drops. You can do that at SeniorLivingVisionaries.com. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Senior Living Visionaries podcast and radio show where we showcase the leaders and innovators in the industry who are pushing the boundaries and setting the stage for the future in senior living and services. Join us next time as we share the bold ideas and breakthroughs of the industry's most forward-thinking leaders here on Senior Living Visionaries.